Daniel Dubois, your host for the Think Like a Wizard podcast. Welcome to episode one, Senses and Emotions. Before we jump into the topic of the episode, I wanted to share a little about myself. Sometimes I question why I should be someone to help others through a spiritual awakening. When other kids grew up and became focused on the material world, I was never allowed to lose my connection to the spiritual one. How do you awaken to something you were never asleep about? Even at my least spiritual times, my spirit mentor always made sure that strange events would occur around me, keeping my attention on the greater reality. It's true that I didn't always understand what was going on, but I was always aware that something was going on. When I talk about my spirit mentor, I usually use air quotes around the word mentor, because although it was mentoring me, it was a trickster. And as a trickster, it never did anything in a straightforward fashion. Everything was a trial by fire. The more difficult the trial, the better. If you're familiar with tricksters as teachers in folklore and mythology, you know they use your weaknesses against you to inspire you to grow and learn. My time with my trickster mentor came to an end when I was able to earnestly find wisdom and self-understanding in every new humiliation and hardship it led me to. And that's why I only sometimes question why I should be something, I should be someone to help others with their spiritual awakenings. My time with my trickster mentor left me with an abundance of empathy and the ability to use that empathy as a tool to guide others through the hard times and the happy times that come from a spiritual awakening. We're going to start this topic off by defining our terms. You'll find in your awakening that it becomes important to clarify what you mean when you say something. Your understanding of the world isn't everyone else's understanding of the world. To be fair, everyone has their own understanding of the words they use because of their lived experience around those words. And that's what often leads to disagreements. For example, I got into a disagreement with someone over the word martyr. I grew up Roman Catholic, so the word martyr was always associated with Jesus dying on the cross. To reinforce it, every movie I watched with martyrs in them, that character always died to inspire others who followed their cause. So in my mind, if you, could, you could only be a martyr if you died. I had heard people say that a person likes to believe themselves a martyr because the person would make their life needlessly difficult or always complain how difficult their life was even when it wasn't. So I just assumed that was a colloquial use of the word meant as an exaggeration. It was only after thinking to myself that the person I was arguing with was so convinced they were right that I wondered if I should rethink my definition of a martyr. So I grabbed a dictionary and looked up the word. The other person was right. A martyr is someone who suffers for their cause regardless of whether or not they died. Since then, whenever a conversation seems to become antagonistic, I do my best to work with the people I'm talking to to see if there are words or ideas expressed in a conversation that we don't share the same view on. That being said, now I'll define what a sense is. As far as human beings are concerned, it is a system in your body that has receptors to receive a certain stimuli that is sent to a portion of the brain designed to process that stimulation into useful information. This is an oversimplification, but I think it'll do for this episode. An example would be there is light. 
Human eyes have photoreactive cells that function as receptors that send signals to the visual cortex portion of the brain to interpret stimulation the photoreactive cells received, and that is your sense of sight. Including our sense of sight, from a material perspective, our bodies are commonly understood to have five senses, the already mentioned sight, as well as hearing, taste, smell, and touch. Not always mentioned when discussing how many senses we have, but still not exactly unknown to us. We also have a sense of balance, a sense of pain, the ability to differentiate temperatures, and we have an awareness of where our body parts are in relation to each other. This gives us a total of nine known senses. Now to define emotions. Our emotions are our subconscious processes method of communicating with our conscious mind, often acting as motivators and or instructions onto how to react to a situation. From a mechanistic perspective, our subconscious processes release hormones in response to stimuli that bond with receptors that cause reactions in our bodies, some pleasant, some unpleasant. While we have emotions, we all acknowledge like joy, sadness, anger, and fear. It is believed by psychologist Robert Plechik that we may have up to 34,000 emotions. To my understanding, his emotional model functions like how we interpret color. We have several base emotions, much like we have several base colors. And the rest of the emotions are a different blending of those base emotions, just like the colors we see are a blending of the base colors we can detect. It's important for this first episode to be about senses and emotions because our senses and our emotions are our initial way of dealing with reality. We first receive sensory information and then it gets processed by the appropriate sensory systems. Before that information makes its way to our conscious mind, it goes to our subconscious mind where our initial reactions are formed. Depending on our inherited instincts and our behaviors we've assimilated through living, we may react before our conscious awareness has a chance to assess the situation. If the situation requires a more complex solution, then our subconscious processes put our emotions in play and release the sensory information to our conscious minds where we can put on our higher functions into play. The biggest factors in whether we react subconsciously or consciously is how quick and how complex of a response we need. By way of an example, it's late at night and you step on a plastic block left on the floor. Before you can do more damage, your leg instinctively raises your foot to reduce the damage you were starting to have from stepping on it. Because there is a risk of further damage from other blocks being on the floor, your subconscious mind releases fear and likely anger to your conscious mind to tell it to start investigating if there are other blocks around and figure out how you can avoid them. Now consider that example for a moment. Your subconscious mind and your conscious mind work together to handle situations in your life but your subconscious mind dictates how your conscious mind views the world. That may sound like your subconscious dictates everything, but that's not completely true. You might remember that I said, depending on our inherited instincts and our behaviors we've assimilated through living, some of those behaviors we've assimilated through living are behaviors we consciously taught ourselves. Things like riding a bike, typing on a keyboard, or playing music. These are all activities we often don't have to expend conscious effort on once we've practiced enough or have enough experience with them. Our subconscious tends to execute the actions while our conscious mind tends to select destinations, words to express, or songs to play. One of the goals of the conscious mind is to add to the subconscious mind's repertoire of actions that they can take given situations where the conscious mind is not practical to invoke. That interplay between conscious and subconscious minds gives us a number of capacities that have both positive and negative effects on us as we grow more civilized as a species. We can preload sensory filters to help us find things faster. This is practical for finding a specific target faster. Our subconscious mind also alerts our conscious mind when it finds 
the thing we pictured when determining our target. This works if the target is consistent. It's great for finding a person you know well in a crowd, but it's terrible if that same person makes a radical change to their appearance that you were unaware of. For example, a person may have lost a significant amount of weight since you last saw them. One of your set filters may be ignore everyone who is not significantly overweight. So while nothing else may have changed about that person, you will miss them because you are prioritizing their size before any other feature. This filtering gets human senses a bad reputation because we tend not to teach ourselves to use this feature properly. As someone awakening, it is a great idea for you to start being more clever with it. When looking for something, try to prioritize features that are more essential to what you are looking for. In case of someone you know well, consider facial features like eyes and facial expressions. We tend to spend more time looking at the faces of people we are intimate with rather than the rest of their bodies. Our emotions also suffer from the same bad reputation that our senses do for the same reason. Like I stated before, we have inherited instincts and behaviors we taught ourselves through living. Like with our senses, when we don't take the time to properly train our subconscious mind for our emotions, we tend to get emotional outbursts we don't understand, and it only gets worse as we get more divorced from nature. Stress is a good example of this. When a situation arises that causes us a great deal of fear, our bodies shut down or at least reduce our body's other functions like food digestion or healing in favor of permitting us to react quicker and more effectively to a physical threat. In a civilized society, a lot of our threats tend not to be physical, but rather psychological, emotional, or societal. And even if the threat is physical, there are repercussions to responding to them physically. There are waste products created by shifting to a physical reaction mode that would normally be flushed from our system when we act physically. When we go into this stress response mode and don't flush our systems, the waste product lingers and can even build up depending on how reoccurring the stress that led to it is. And this leads to things like heart attacks, joint pain, digestive issues, and so on. My main point is that your senses and your emotions don't have to be your enemy. And if you understand them, then they can be returned to being your greatest ally in your search for understanding of yourself and your awakening. Your perception of the spiritual world also works the same way as your perceptions of the material world does. But instead of your material senses, your spiritual senses filter through your subconscious mind before they reach your conscious mind. Your subconscious mind is the gateway. For the sake of simplicity and to help you on your journey, our spiritual senses tend to be mirrors of our human material senses. This is in part due to the fact that our material senses take precedent over our spiritual senses because we live in a material world where we need to be present in our material lives. Therefore, those existing in the spiritual need to stimulate our sensory cortexes to communicate with us. Consider this example. We don't sense electricity directly. We have no receptors or sensory cortex for it. However, if you grab a live electric fence, you know electricity is flowing because you can detect its effects on your body via your sense of touch and pain. Pain because electricity burns your flesh and the flow of electricity can surpass your nervous system's tolerance for the strength of the electrical signals and your sense of touch because you can feel your muscles spasming because exposure to electricity can cause muscles to contract. So because your material senses supersede your spiritual senses, your awakening will often begin with you finding your material senses being prioritized. While your senses won't be enhanced, you will find yourself getting more out of your sensory experiences than you used to. You will start having more nuanced experiences and you will find yourself not ignoring as much information as you used to. To borrow some song lyrics, the sun will shine brighter and the birds will sing sweeter. Depending on your personality and what spirits are taking an interest in your awakening, this may become a very indulgent and hedonistic period in your life, or it may even become more pragmatic. I have a club foot, and for a while I was one of the youngest and smallest children in my peer group, so games like hide and seek were a real challenge. 
I couldn't outrun the other kids I played with, so I was often the person doing the seeking since everyone would always make it home free when I found them. At one point, it dawned on me I needed a strategy to permit me to find other kids before they knew I did. Since I couldn't track them like a dog could, and trust me, I tried to see if I could possibly sniff the other kids out, but that very much didn't work, so I switched to listening for them. As time went on, I started hearing the other kids' excited breathing, their whispering, and their laughing when I walked past them and didn't see them. I used the advantage my hearing had provided me to yell out where I found them when I was closer to home base and had a chance of outrunning them to get to it. That focusing on my hearing led me to being more perceptive visually. Because our primary sense is sight, I used it to confirm what my hearing told me, and soon, although I am nearsighted, I was still good at picking up visual details in my environment. This sensory success led me to working on my other senses as well, until my sense of my environment was better than it had ever been, and my attention to detail and pattern recognition was greater than others in my peer group. I want to recap what I've presented so far. In today's episode, we learned our senses and our emotions are our initial way of interacting with reality. We also learned whether our conscious mind is involved in dealing with the situation depends on how quickly we need to respond to the situation and how complex the situation is. The interplay between our conscious and subconscious mind is determined by our inherited instincts and the behaviors we've assimilated through living. Our senses and our emotions can seem misleading because we have not trained ourselves to work with them properly. And finally, our spiritual senses function in the same way as our material senses do, in that the subconscious mind is the gateway to our awareness. I hope this episode was of use to you on your journey, be it a journey of spiritual awakening, self-discovery, or even learning how to understand those you know on those journeys. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to what I had to share. I really appreciate it. Before we part ways, I want to give you an assignment to do to help you internalize what I shared. For the next week, try to be hyper aware of the tasks you perform in your day-to-day life. Notice what parts of your body are utilized for the task. Pay attention to the emotions these tasks invoke. And do your best to be aware of how many senses are involved in accomplishing the tasks. When you feel you've learned something, go to the Think Like a Wizard subreddit and post what you've discovered about your day-to-day tasks in the comment section for the entry of this episode's assignment. I'll post a link in the episode's notes. Until next time, I'm your host, Danielle Dubois.